Welcome to The Pen and the Yod. Join Rabbi Michael Siegel from Ad Shemit Synagogue and author Jonathan Eig as they talk about this week's Torah portion of Shmot, writing the biography of Moses. Hi, Jonathan. Hi, Rabbi. Congratulations on all of the special honors you've received from the Chicago Tribune and uh, major major publications around the nation for uh, King of Life. It's got to be a very exciting time for you and your family. It's been incredible, yeah. And don't forget Volunteer of the Year at Ansheyam. It that was that, uh, right. Well, that yeah. you, you were that was earlier. So I was uh, and uh, <laughs> yeah. and and the most important honor that I've received. That's yeah. <laughs> true. Um, well, thank you for that. Well, thank you for all you do. So I was thinking, as a biographer, how would you approach the biography of Moses? Moses is introduced to us in the portion of Exodus. And we learned that he had a miraculous deliverance at birth. There was an evil decree. The uh, firstborn of the Israelites were endangered. His mother put him in a basket, and the basket ended up with Pharaoh's daughter. He was raised in the palace. And we see him come out of the palace, see an Egyptian taskmaster beating an Israelite, and then Moses rising up, doing away with the uh, taskmaster, burying him in the sand, then running away. And then God meeting him at the burning bush and giving him his mission, where Moses promptly tells God in multiple ways, I'm really not worthy of this. I really can't do this, to the point that he says uh, that he is slow of tongue, that he can't even has a speech impediment in God gets fed up and says, I'll supply you with Aaron, your brother, to uh, be your spokesperson. But that's kind of in a nutshell, the facts that we have about Moses. So I'm wondering, Jonathan, how would you go about the business of writing the biography of Moses? Well, before we get into uh, you know research, primary sources, interviews, all the things that I like to do, uh, let me say, first of all, that it's a good idea. I mean, and and, and maybe I should do that as my next book, uh, but Moses, a life. But um, he shares a lot of the characteristics um, that that I look for in choosing a subject. You know, he's overcoming obstacles. He's full of doubt, but acts and, and steps up um, in courageous ways. He's willing to challenge authority. He stands up for what he believes in over and over again, fails, but perseveres. He has a lot in common with some of the people I've written about in the past, and I think he would make an excellent story, uh, and obviously we, we know that already. But yeah, then the question is, I always try to bring something new to, to these stories. What could I bring that would help us see Moses in a new way? Maybe you could help me on that front. Well, I think one of the things that always catches my eye is Moses' humanness. He has flaws, mm-hmm. right? He has a issue with anger that's going to plague him throughout his life and actually cost him his ability to enter into the promised land. He's challenged by those around him who don't believe him. I find him to be remarkably approachable, unlike mm-hmm. Abraham who I can't really understand. Moses is someone who I think we understand on some level for all the reasons that you named. So that's part of what draws me to him. Yeah, I wonder if that's why 
in so many ways, he feels like our greatest hero. You know, one of the things that's really struck me, you know, you mentioned very kindly that I've been getting some notice and some recognition for the King book. I played a small part, but I think it's mostly the idea that people feel like they're connecting to King again in a more honest way because I included the flaws in the book. And as you and I talked about over the years when I was working on this, I was worried that that might not go so well, that people might say, hey, no, leave our heroes alone. Don't tell me that Dr. King struggled with depression. Don't tell me that he sometimes drank, that he you know, had relationships with women other than his wife. That's, that's my guy, leave him alone. But it's been the opposite. People, I think, are more drawn to King and feel that like they can get to know him better and appreciate him more when they see that he has flaws. And maybe there's something to that in the story of Moses too. This dichotomy of struggling with your humanness, your foibles, and reaching for greatness at the same time, mm -hmm. that defined, I think, King. And I know in reading King of Life, that struck me as well. That somebody who was beyond my comprehension as a human being, great, an orator of exceptional skill, was suddenly somebody who makes mistakes, who maybe wasn't the best student. All those things kind of made him relatable. And what I don't think you said was, not only does it allow us to get to know him better, but I also think it inspires people to make the effort. If the person that you are trying to emulate is a saint, then why bother? But if the person is a human being, and I'm a human being, well, I know it won't be perfect, but I know it will be better than it was. Yeah, that's a great point. We make saint a synonym for perfect being, um, but the saints even were not perfect beings, right? The saints were human and full of flaws, and uh, certainly our prophets in the Bible are human and full of flaws, and it's when they fail that they, that they teach us the most. I think that's right, but I want to correct one idea, and that is that Jews don't have saints. So this idea that at the end of the day, we're going to find the clay feet of this great figure, the Torah is very clear about the clay feet up front. Mm -hmm. It just assumes that the person is flawed. We do see the flaws in Abraham. I'm not sure Abraham saw the flaws in himself, but you know we see them certainly in his treatment of uh, Sarah and Hagar and all kinds of things of that nature. But the point is that he's not a saint. The point is that he's a human being, an ordinary person who does extraordinary things. I think they're gifted. But I think that we live in a world where we are so focused on finding the flaw, being able to dethrone someone, to see the negatives about a person that we don't focus on the struggle and the things that they've done that are great. It's as if you have to pass a purity test. And if you don't pass that purity test, then whatever you've touched is impure. That is about as far from being a Jewish concept as I can think of. And certainly in the world we're living in today, it's, uh, it's one reason that people don't want to step into positions of leadership is because they feel like they're going to be judged not just on every mistake they make, but on every mistake they've ever made in the past uh, because um, it will be dredged up and used against them. And that creates a terrible disincentive to taking action and, and trying to do your part to make change uh, and to leading. And, you know, I think that's partly why the 
some people would say the quality of our leadership has declined because who wants that job anymore? Who wants to be a rabbi when, or a politician or, you know, a CEO when the knives are out for you all the time? And I think that what you have here is also this humility, which I don't think is something we value in our society. When Moses is called by God at the burning bush, what does he say? He says, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and free the Israelites from Egypt? And God then immediately says, I'll be with you. And they go back and forth this way. But Moses's first response, he doesn't have what it takes. Right. I think humility plays a role. What Moses is doing, and I think what great people do, is that they are attaching themselves to something more than they are, something bigger, something more illuminating, something higher than themselves, an idea, a cause. And that propels them forward, mm -hmm. even though they are always aware that they're not who other people might see them to be. They're always painfully aware of their flaws. And I think that balance is what makes for great leadership. Yeah, and, and and don't forget that they're also accepting a great risk. They are knowingly putting themselves in front of danger, and, you know, welcoming scorn, welcoming attacks of physical and um, verbal. And uh, let me ask you something. I wonder, you know, Martin Luther King. I think he felt the same way. He he wasn't looking for this, um, but then once he was called, he felt a responsibility to, to serve his people. But he also felt specifically called by God. He felt like God spoke to him and said, "I need you to do this." And do you think Moses felt the same way? Well, I think the Torah is very specific about that. For Moses, at least the way it's portrayed in the Bible, these conversations are very direct. God comes to him. God speaks to him. And he has the temerity to say, well, you know what? Maybe you want to look for somebody else. I think that what you often see with great people is that from a young age, they always believed they were going to do something. Is that true? Don't you think that that's the case, that they kind of said, I'm going to make a difference somewhere. I'm going to do great things. No question about that. And um, I'm always curious. In fact, I always think it's sort of a central question for a biography is, you know, what made them feel that way? What made them think they could actually do it? Because most of us out, sadly, outgrow that idealism, right? Most of us outgrow the idea that I could invent the cure for cancer, right? We just say, well, that was a nice idea when I was little, but now I have to just you know, accept the fact that it's those things are hard. You know, I've been reading the biography of Elon Musk, and you get that a lot in that book. I mean, for all the issues with Elon Musk, he had this idea from a young person and that, that people are going to need to live on Mars someday. And he doesn't let things get in the way. He's driven by that idea. And again, putting aside all of the negatives about him, He's extraordinary in that way. He's that kind of leader who attaches themselves to ideas that are large and seemingly impossible, and, and he approaches it that way. I think that is leadership to a large extent, and I think great leaders do that. I think, you know, from, from a religious point of view, the idea that you are aligning yourself with God is vitally important, and that's the sign of great leadership is that they never see themselves as being the great one. They always attribute 
that greatness to God. And I think Moses is a model of that. And that's the source of his humility. He's the humblest person in Israel, and God calls him the humble one of Israel. But the irony is he has the least amount to be humble about. Right? He right. took the people out of Egypt. He did all this stuff. So it's it's remarkable in that way. Now, that's a really great point. You know, what does it take to summon the courage to really believe that you can change the world. Either you have a massive ego, like Muhammad Ali, because Muhammad Ali wasn't really called by God. Much later, when he became the heavyweight champion, he discovered uh, the nation of Islam, and he sort of found a religious footing, a framework for his uh, beliefs. But he believed he could be you know, great before that. Uh, but I think when you're called by God, it's a different story. When you feel like it's a part of something bigger, it's about you know, the concept of the universe and of people all over the world who follow the same faith, I think that gives you something much bigger to, to stand on. I think there's no question about that. I think, it, but I, I want to come back to something you said earlier, which is you have to have some skin in the game. Mm -hmm. I think great leaders are also people who take great risks. You can't always finesse it and you can't play it safe. Sometimes you just have to go for it and because it is what is needed in that moment, especially if it's going to have impact on you. And that's really when you see the great leader emerging and, and showing their true characteristics, that it's not just, you're not just speaking for God. You have to face decisions that are very human in the human world and that have human consequences. King is a great example of that. I mean, look at the time that he spent in jail, you know, living with the specter of death always surrounding him, death threats, etc. He's the ultimate example of that. And you know what? The world's a better place because he lived. And he continues to inspire us to this very day. You know, and that's the, one of the values of telling these stories of, of folks like Moses over and over again. And that's why we do it, because it has the power to think, help us make our decisions and think about where we fit into the world. That's the hope. Well, thank you, Jonathan. And I hope you will think about a biography of Moses. I'm thinking about it already.